If you'll turn with me once more over to Second Peter, the third chapter. I would like to talk to you in a very practical sense on some very important things. As I spoke to you last week, it was more in the line of why we should be looking for the Lord's coming if we can discern the seasons, Jesus said, we certainly should be able then to discern the signs of the times. If the Christian doesn't discern the signs of the times is because he does not know the scriptures. For the scriptures are clear as to the things we should look for whether we were to go to Matthew or Luke in reference to the second coming of Christ or whether we were to go back into the Old Testament into Ezekiel or Deuteronomy or Isaiah or any of the many of the minor prophets or whether we were to go to the book of Revelation or Peter or Jude or as one of the great writers has said, I believe it was James Brooks who wrote a book called Israel and the Church, which I have tried to get. It's been out of print for probably a hundred years. If anyone ever sees it, be sure that you grab it for me. Israel and the Church, written about a hundred years ago, in which he goes through the scriptures to show that every book of the Bible speaks of the second coming of Jesus Christ and gives all of the references in Scripture. So the second coming is not something that is guesswork. It is just as sure as you're sitting here this morning, that you're breathing in front of me is the second coming of our wonderful Savior. And so last week I spoke to you about some of the things that are happening right around us, and uh, especially in reference to China, Russia, and you will forgive me if in my fervency I uh, used uh, one, uh, these oriental names get me a little mixed sometimes, and when I got home and looked at my notes, I realized that I had said Ho Chi Minh instead of Zhou En Lai, and I trust that you will forgive me for that. Matse Tung doesn't bother me too much, I seem to be able to get that out all right, but here and there, you know, some of these names kind of get you. There were several more in the paper this week, so I decided I'd leave those alone because I just can't get them all down in my mind. But the message to our hearts is very clear, that things are happening and that a ping-pong tournament is just what God does to start things rolling. We don't know, but I say that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the minds of the wise men. That's what he says in his word. And so by a foolish thing like a ping-pong tournament or ping-pong ball, he begins to open things that begin to open the road for the kings of the east to march down toward Israel and cross the Euphrates when it is dried up, Revelation 16:12, and the kings of the east shall march across the Euphrates, which has been dried up by God. Now, 
It struck me this week that in the latter two few days, and I'm just saying this, I'm going to another theme entirely, but I, it struck me in reading, I read a lot. I read a lot of newspapers. I try my best to keep up. Uh, I don't have what Dr. Barnhouse had. He had a core of 20 in his office who just perused the newspapers for prophetic themes that would have to do with his messages. And, uh, of course, I'm limited. I can't peruse that kind of the number of newspapers. But the Long Island Press is all right, and the New York Times, and a few of these. And they struck me with some things that they had to say toward the end of the week. And uh, here, one of them it says this, uh, China's greatest master of the soft cell, Joanne Lai, is doing business at his old stand. Teenage ping-pong players are hardly the kind of customers to bring out immediately the full craftsmanship of Chu's ability to hoodwink America. But when the full artfulness of his methods dawns on the unsuspecting recipients, another generation is going to learn a tremendous lesson. The negotiations produce something like a draft scenario which goes far beyond ping-pong. Now this struck me because I mentioned it last week and include the following. Peking's entrance into the United Nations under United States recommendations sale of American jetliners and fortresses to China. And all technical contracts to be imparted to them. Isn't that amazing? Hmm? Unbelievable, isn't it? Huh? That you could hardly think that a little ping-pong ball starts something rolling like this. But this gives us just some idea of what's happening in the whole world scene that surrounds us. And we are to become extremely conscious as Christians that the days are short before us. And if ever we're going to do anything for God, we'd better begin to do it soon. Now, I've been talking to you from Second Peter 3, and especially here this morning, I want you to think of the vain imaginations of men. How vainly they imagine things. Uh, they say, where is the promise of his coming, as we've read here? Uh, in that uh, third, second verse, you may be mindful of the words which were spoken by the holy prophets and the commandments of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, or in the Greek, in the vanity of their own minds. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? And then they tell two lies. They say, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they had from the beginning. And this is their first lie. And as I told you last week, it had to be a lie because then God continues in this portion and says this they are willingly ignorant of, that the flood came 
and this was an intervention of God into the whole creation plan. And all but eight souls were wiped off the face of the earth so that you and I are the descendants of Adam, but we are the descendants of Adam through Noah. Other lines were wiped out. Noah's line was not. We are all the descendants of Noah, <coughs> pardon me, through Ham, through Shem, and through Japheth. And so all of the nations of men came forth from this God's great intervention. And in each case where they use their vain imaginations, it is with the thought in mind that they shall be able by this method of saying, where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning. This they are willingly ignorant of, that the world perished in water and only eight souls were saved. And the whole indication of these vain imaginations is that somehow we're going to escape the judgment of God. We'd rather he wouldn't come. They're part of the organization as far as the church goes. And as I've said to you time and again, the second coming of Christ is not preached in the church universal today. At least 90% of the churches in this world do not preach the second coming of Jesus Christ. They neither preach it nor they believe it, and they would agree with this premise, where is the promise of his coming? and use the same methodology. All things continue as they were from the very beginning. But the whole principle behind this is the idea that somehow we'll be able, through these vain imaginations of ours, to escape the judgment which is to come. Peter goes on, and I'm not going to read it all to you, about warning them then that the water that then was was overflowed with water. But the world that now is, is held in store. You will notice that right over in the seventh verse. The heavens and earth which are now by the same word. What word, God? The word that sent the flood. They're willingly ignorant of this. Just not ignorant, willingly so. All creation witnesses to a flood. In all the religions of the world, remember that over 90% of them witness to the flood. Old Indian faiths relate to the flood. So God is saying they're willingly ignorant of this that there was a flood and the world was covered by water and then out of the water came the land. Now he says that same word which brought that flood and that judgment, you say the Lord is not coming again and Peter is saying, I want to tell you, you listen to the Old Testament prophets and you listen to the New Testament apostles and you can have not one bit of doubt that Christ is coming again and when he comes he is bringing judgment but his judgment will never be by water again. His judgment will be by fire. Now, this is the ultimate judgment. 
This is the judgment which will come at the very end I'm speaking of now. I'm not speaking of the time when the church shall be raptured and taken up to be with Jesus Christ. This is church truth. We are told that we are to be workers, <clears throat> that we are to study the word of God, study to make thyself a servant well approved unto God, rightly, what? Dividing the word of truth. If we do not divide the word of truth, we will never understand. The church, the believers, those of you who are here this morning who really have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you really believe on him. And oh, beloved, listen, when I say that, I hope you come to grips with your own heart, and I don't care what your age is. I don't care if you're 80 or if you're 8. Come to grips with your own heart when I say, if you really believe, you're saying one of two things. You're saying either praise the Lord or you're saying I wish I knew. Come to grips with it so that you really know that you believe. But beloved, we have to divide so carefully. If we go to 1 Thessalonians, you see, there are two connotations to the second coming. One is blessing and the other is judgment. If you do not discern this, you'll miss the whole thing. First Thessalonians is what? Blessing. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we are, which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Isn't that wonderful? With them... Did you lose your loved husband, your loved wife, your loved child, some loved one who loved Christ? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air, and then shall we ever be with the Lord. What does it say then? Comfort ye one and other with these words. You see? Here's the second coming in great comfort, you see? But when you go to Matthew or Luke or Peter or Jude or Revelation or Ezekiel, you're seeing his judgments upon an unbelieving world. So you have to be a great divider of the word of truth. And where the divisions are not made, you have nothing but confusion. So that here we stand in this glorious position of looking for the coming of Christ. And here in Peter, it says that the world was overflowed by water. You forget that, don't you? You say, where is the promise of his coming? You forget that God already has intervened in man's life and in his plans and in his universe time and time again. And as I said last week, whether it was Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it was the Tower of Babel, whether it was the great judgment of God in the flood, whether it was the Garden of Eden and the casting out, 
We could go down all the gamut of God's power over his creation so that Jesus could stand in a boat and in the wildness of a storm calm the sea so it was like a lake. And God could blot out the sun at his son's death. And the Lord could walk on the water because he's master, he's ruler, He's the only king and high potentate over all the earth and all creation. And so, again, he's going to intervene, but it will be by fire. And this is at the end. This is not for the church. The church is comforted. The church is to be absent from here and present with the Lord. We know not what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 1 Corinthians 15. For this mortal must put on immortality, and this corruptible must put on incorruption. Then shall be brought to pass that saying, Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? So this is the great hope of the church. The church isn't looking, beloved. If I can say this, we're not looking for the great conflict which is yet to come in which this earth shall receive the vials of God's wrath, the bowls of his wrath, the trumpets of his wrath. Oh, beloved, we are looking for the coming of Jesus to take us out of the way so that then the great panoramic scene of judgment will fall upon an unbelieving world. And the Jews shall rise and be the great evangelist of that day. For they shall have seen the church go out, and that one whom they claim to be their Messiah, they shall see was Jesus, him whom they crucified. And they shall mourn for him as an only son. That's the day that's coming. But it's reserved, notice, by the same word, ah, God wants us to know this, by the same word that he brought into being the universe and threw all of the planets into their orbits and lit up the sky with the glory of the stars that the greatest telescopes have never brought within the range of man's eye and did it all for only one person, Man, whom he created in his own image. And the whole universe is looking to the day when we shall be revealed, it says in Romans 8, as the sons of God. All creation is waiting for this. All creatures are waiting for this, for the manifestation of the sons of God when they're glorified. You know, my heart rejoices. I don't want to go to the moon. Let them go. The universe will be mine. We're co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ of his kingdom. It'll all belong to the saints of God, to the family of God, all of it. I am convinced in my heart 
that when God says, I haven't seen nor ear heard the glories which God hath prepared for love him, that the constellations and the stars and the universe, which is expanding according to most scientists, faster than the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, the universe is expanding so that no human eye can never see the end of it, that one day God is going to take his saints on a celestial tour. And it would take eternity to see that. But I'd rather gaze on the face of Jesus Christ than anything else and see him who loved me and died for me. And so they're kept in store, reserved. The meaning in the Greek here is that the earth is stored with fire. Did you realize that? You know, I've often thought this. I don't know whether you ever think thoughts like this, but I do anyway sometimes. I wonder why it is we're always exploring upward. How deep do you think we ever got into the crust of the earth? Actual exploration. Not too far. When you figure how far out we've gone, isn't it amazing we haven't got too deep inside? Well, you know, God in his judgment says here that he has stored the earth with fire. And the amazing thing is that he says in this final cataclysmic judgment at the end of all things, when heaven and earth shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. That's what he says here in the second Peter. You can read that whole chapter when you go home. And elements shall melt with a fervent heat. And then Revelation tells us that God will send fire down from heaven upon the earth. That makes me think of Sodom and Gomorrah and the hydrogen bomb or the cobalt bomb or the atomic bomb. Just a matter of fission, isn't it? Fusion. But you know, I couldn't help but think that over in Deuteronomy 32.22, it says that he's reserved, he stored the earth with fire from the inside. In 32.22, here's what he says. A fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn into the lowest hell. And that fire shall consume the earth. And her increase. And will set on fire the very foundations of the mountains of the earth. So judgment comes from God from two sources, from the in and the out. I don't want to be here. Oh, boy, I'm glad I'm not going to be here. Isn't that great? Not going to be here. When that fire comes down from heaven and when that fire comes up from the inside, I'm not going to be here. Have you seen any pictures? I don't know if you have any colored TVs home, but Vesuvius has recently been putting on a big show, one of the biggest in years. Have you seen it? Well, I can't picture what it must be when it says, and God will burn up from the interior the foundations of all the mountains. But you just see that, and you watch as mountains of lava, white hot in heat, which have left their spewing place weeks and weeks before, are still white hot, 
rolling down the mountain and burning everything that is before it. This is the kind of judgment that's coming upon the earth. Somehow people get vain imaginations that there's no judgment coming, and so they immediately say, where is the promise of his coming? Past again, you say that the Lord is coming soon. Yes. I believe it with all my heart. Let me tell you, nobody believed Noah. Noah preached for 120 years and preached the flood would come and built the ark and they looked at him and said, you're a fool. And I would remind you that the very carpenters who built the ark perished in the flood because they didn't believe it either. Do you think Noah was the only preacher in his day? Why, of course not. There were just as many preachers around at that time preaching what they believed, but they did not believe that the judgment of God was coming. And in not believing, only Noah and his family were saved. And that's all. And the rest, it says, perished in the flood. Now, beloved, if God is so clear here, and let's just read it, because, oh, that we might realize this is the most practical word in the world today. If we only will fathom what Peter is trying to say to us here, don't you see he's saying there will be an age which will come in which things will happen which will show forth that the Lord is coming soon. He says a thousand years are as a day in the sight of God. We're not the timekeepers for God. We are the preparers for His coming. Not the timekeepers. We're to be preparing for the Lord's soon coming. Let me read it to you. By the same word, the heavens and earth, notice heavens, fire, earth, fire, are kept in store by that word, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. For, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. Don't let time get you upset. That's what they were trying to say here. They were trying to say time is the element. They want to connect God with time and not eternity. God does things in his good time, not in man's time. A thousand years there is a day in the sight of the Lord. May I say this just quickly as an aside. This thrills me. I don't know how it thrills you, but it thrills my heart. Have many of you lost loved ones? Many have gone to be with Christ. Well, you know, for you and for me, we're living in time, all right? This is rough. This is rough. We have the separation we have the longing in our heart. I have a longing in my heart to see my son again that I lost. 
It's a great longing. I know that when I see Martin, I will see him as Jesus wants me to see. He's going to give me glorified eyes that will have much greater discernment than I do now. And with those glorified eyes, I will have the privilege of seeing my glorified son. And I shall see him. I, Alice and I suffered the loss of it. For a long time, it was difficult. Difficult in the sense that when we lost him, he was just about five years of age. That's how I found Christ. That's how I found the Savior. When he died, some engineer in my office talked to me about Jesus, and I was far off from Christ. Had no desire to know Christ told me about the saving faith in Jesus Christ and what it could mean to me in the time of the loss of myself. And I can't help but think, when I think a thousand years there is a day in the sight of the Lord, that now Martin has been there, well, I'm saved, just 26 years. I was, I won't tell you how old I was, But anyway, those 26 years have passed, and Alice and I can remember when he first went home to be with the Lord, how we would sit in the living room, and we would think that we heard his footstep on the stair. This is only normal. Just saved. Just found Christ as our Savior. But we were so used to hearing him run down the stairs and run up the stairs that to our hearts now and then, we, I, I'd look toward the stairs. Somehow I thought he would be coming down the staircase. Then I would know, of course, immediately, no, he's with Jesus. This is, this is so much better, so far better. I remember writing many poems at that time about what I felt about Jesus and Martin and where Martin was. And I remembered some lines I wrote. Martin, my son, thou art walking the streets of gold. Thou wilt never grow old. And oh, so many other lines, long poems about Martin, which I put away as a treasure, you know, just for myself and for Alice. But the thought came to my heart as I grew in grace, isn't it wonderful, a thousand years or is a day in the sight of the Lord, so that when Martin went home to be with the Lord, it will just be as though we had gone up and tucked him in, and when he woke, woke up in the morning, he would say, Mom and Dad. Well, a thousand years or what? As a day up there. So for him, and may I say this for all of you who lost loved ones, for the loved one who's gone to be with Christ, there's no separation because there's no time. And from the moment they die to the moment they see you, they are not considered in time, but in eternity. So to them, a thousand years is a day. A thousand years or a thousand years to me. I'm down here, but up there, they're like a day. And it will just be as though your loved one closed their eyes and said, goodbye, I'll see you in glory. And to them, it will be just like a... in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. 
and you see your loved one again. Isn't that glorious? Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm so glad that he doesn't miss me. Wouldn't that be terrible for a child to miss his mother and his daddy? But to know that that thousand years are as a single day in the sight of the Lord. That's the way it is. See that here? Thousand day, a thousand years are as a day in the sight of the Lord. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. He's long-suffering to usward. Why is he waiting? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says, here's the reason I don't come back. Don't you see? I'm waiting for you to do something. You sit in your pews. You sit in your homes. You study the Word of God and you bask in His love and His truth and you rock your own chairs. Waiting for Jesus to come. But the reason He isn't coming is because I'm long-suffering, Jesus said, to you, not willing that any should perish. I don't want your loved ones to perish. I want them to come to repentance. Now, you're part of my body. Won't you do what I've asked you to do? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, ye shall be my, what? Witnesses. Beloved, if a charge was made to the church today as to what its failure is, may I ask you a question? What do you think the failure would be? Can somebody say it? Lack of what? Witnessing. And yet here it tells us he's delayed. You say, where is the promise of his coming? Notice, I'm telling you, he says the reason. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men look at slackness, but he, I underline, you know, I always put a circle around the butt. He's long-suffering to who? To us. To who? To his children. Why? Not willing that any should perish. God help me. With all the preaching I do, with all the witnessing I might do, I believe I've wasted lots of time. And if I believe that as a preacher, how about you and how about each one of us together that we really get before God and say, Lord, we didn't realize it. We cry out, where is the promise of your coming? We see a world that's crumbling around us. We see a world chaotic. We see a world that all it thinks of is gold and greed and avarice and lust and all the rest. And we sit with our Bibles and bask in your love and we feed and we feed and we feed on the Word of God and we have spiritual indigestion and we don't get out. And like a human being that feeds and feeds and feeds and doesn't go out and exercise and exercise and exercise, we are a tragedy not witness it. You can't eat and not use it. Oh, to God that I could impress you with this. I see that time is flying. And when I say I see, I mean I see. 
Let me just read it quickly to you. You see, people don't realize that. He's put down the reason why the Lord. They say, well, where's the promise of his coming? He says, I want to show you why. All right? Here's your reason. He says, I want to tell you something. Jesus will come when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That's what we're told in the gospel. We're told that when the last soul comes into the body of Christ and God knows the day because he knows our frailties and our weaknesses and he knows just what this church is going to do. He knows that Franklin Evan, a Baptist, is here. He knew when it began and he knew what the people are going to do. All I'm praying before God is that from Hebrews 13, when I appear before the judgment seat of Christ as your under-shepherd, I may be able to give a good report because he said, and they who are your under-shepherds must give an account of every single one in their congregation as to their life and their witness. The day of the Lord will come, notice, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. But the heavens and the earth are stored with fire. Men know it now. They discover that when they discovered all about the atom. They learned this. All stored with fire. Men didn't know this before 25, 35 years ago. Had no idea of it. Now here's Peter writing these things about the heavens and the earth being stored with fire. And men read it and said, this is ridiculous. How can the elements melt with fervent heat? Silliness, foolishness. The scientists up to 25 and 30 years ago said it was an absolute damnable lie. No more. Seeing then that all, now notice this, here's the other verse. Seeing then that all these things, everything, 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 the pews here, the building, everything's going to perish, it's all going to go, all the accoutrements of life, everything gone, 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 money, gold, silver, doesn't matter what it is, houses. Seeing then that all these things shall be, what? Dissolved. Say it with me, dissolved, gone. Notice, what manner of persons ought you to be? In what? All holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, God's sons, God's children, we, according to what? His promise. Oh, aren't you glad? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise. No one can change it. Men can war and rulers can come and rulers can go and it makes no difference. You've made a promise to us. God cannot lie. We look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you really look for such things, do you? Seeing as you really look for such things, be diligent that you might be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Oh, may God do great things for you. God help you to see it. If I got to be a Noah, let me be a Noah, all right?
I'm glad there's some other preachers around that are preaching the second coming. I hope when the Lord Jesus comes, I'm preaching on the second coming. It'd be great if I was standing here in a pulpit and I was talking on that second coming and suddenly all of us, I hope, well, I say that very carefully, all of us, I hope, would be what? Rapture. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's to the church. And the trump of God and the dead in Christ what shall rise first the graves open then which we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air and then shall we ever be with the Lord oh beloved comfort each other with these words but while you're comforting let's remember the Lord is not slack concerning his promises some men consider slackness but is long suffering to you and to me not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Get busy. Get busy for Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank thee for thy blessed word this morning. Lord, it's hard to, to really stir the people of God in these last days. We remember that it tells us Satan is going to war like never before. And he's going to cause a coldness to come upon the earth concerning Jesus Christ. We see it. It's evident around us. Lord, there are all kinds of false religions it's cropping up. There are all kinds of occult religions thriving. But Lord, we remember that you said coldness in part shall come upon the people of God. And those days cannot come, you said, unless there is a falling away. Lord, here's another sign for us. We have seen the falling away. We could even go to churches, Lord, that call themselves fundamental just a short time ago, that today are far from being fundamental. Lord, we pray that we might fulfill the job you've called us to do. We pray that we won't be saying, where is the promise of his coming? When God is answering back, I'm long-suffering to you. That's why, not willing that your loved ones should perish, those around you should perish, your neighbors should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm waiting on you. That's what I'm waiting for. The day is already appointed. And you have just so much time. God, in that time, you've been very patient with us. We look at a world around us and we wonder how come God doesn't bring his judgment down right now. And you're crying back, I'm waiting for you. What are you doing? When did you last witness for me? When did you last witness for me? Was it last week? Was it yesterday? Was it last month? Or haven't you witnessed to anybody in the last year or two or three? Or maybe you've never witnessed and won a soul for Christ. Now, Father, we pray this morning 
that you touch our hearts. O Holy Spirit, prod thy people, flow in upon us. God, don't let this people who love you go out of here without some determination to proclaim that your Savior, your Lord, and that the only possibility of redemption is in the blood of Christ. Forgiveness of sins is necessary if we're to get to the kingdom of heaven. Flesh and blood can't enter there, but only those who are redeemed through Christ's death on the cross. O Holy Spirit, speak to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.